everyone. Welcome to Pink Shade with Aaron Martin, the podcast where we talk about all the shows we are addicted to, plus the reality stars we love, even when we're giving them the side eye. I'm so excited to recap a shit ton of shows for you today. I probably won't get to every detail, but I'm going to do my best to just run down the highlights of the craziness of this week. Man, there is a lot going on in the world of reality TV right now. The only thing missing from our lives is, of course, 90 Day Fiance. And I have some information on what might be holding up the release of that precious, precious show. So listen in for that as well. I have some inside scoop and you're not going to believe it. Before we get started, quick reminder, go to pinkshadewitharenmartin.com for links to the podcast platforms, to articles I'm writing on Reality Tea and 22 Words, and also links to the Patreon page, which is live, and I've just released the first episode last week. There's another one coming at you this Friday. I've gotten more extra hot tea over there. So much fun talking to the little tiny group we have. I'm so grateful to all of you who have pledged. Thank you so much. And for those of you listening, thank you. I'm hoping to bring you even more dirt on all platforms as we go through April, into the summer, and forever afterwards. Remember to tune in to Jenny McCarthy every week. I'm back. Jenny is back. She's not sick anymore. We'll probably resume our Thursdays regularly starting this week doing Real Housewives Roundup and we're just getting to the reunion of Beverly Hills or I'm going to talk about what I thought of this season, although you can probably tell from my tone, it's not a very high opinion. And we are wrapping up Real Housewives of Atlanta, but of course we are in the beginning of my fave Real Housewives of New York. And Real Housewives of Potomac is offering some interesting tidbits, so maybe I will touch on that too. I'll touch on it at least in the podcast. All right, so we're going to do Housewives today, Vanderpump Rules, Married at First Sight. I've got a little bit of news of Love at First Flight. We are going to talk Jersey Shore and just reality TV general insanity. So let's go. Before I get into recapping the Housewives this week, I want to give you the 90 Day Fiance intel that I just got this week from a producer friend. I was on her radio show Sunday night. She's out in LA. She has her fingers in all kinds of different projects and is friends with uh, many producers, both in TV and movies. And she was giving me some scoop because she is a major 90 day fiance fan. We, after we're done with talking on the radio show, we talked for like an hour afterwards, just about all 90 day fiance news. Here is what she heard. Allegedly, Nicole and Azin are holding up production. Now, they specifically aren't holding it up, but their particular scenes are. There are different crews that film with the producers of 90 Day Fiancé all around the globe, because as we know, this show is very different from others in that it's not filmed in one city around one group of friends. I mean, it's all of these cast members are separate, and they hire both people from the home office, so in LA, from the production company, who fly to these locations, and then they hire a certain number of on-site crew, including cameramen, sound people, 
you know, show just all kinds of stuff. I don't have the details. I'm like clueless when it comes to exactly who's on these teams. But she was telling me, basically, it's like a huge undertaking to produce a show like this. So again, slow clap to TLC and the production company who does this. I don't even know what their name is. Why Why I don't know that is astounding to me. <laughs> I should have written, like sent them thank you cards this year and just basically tweeted out their glory, but I never did. Anyway, the crew that they've hired in Morocco is posing problems for specifically Nicole and Azin scenes. Now, we know that she flew over there to get married to Azin. We think May is with her. I'm going to touch on that separately, so sit tight. The May thing is separate, but when it comes to just the scenes they're filming, the um, street venues that they need, the footage that they take out in public, which is a lot, as we've seen in the past. It's not all inside of Azen's house where Nicole is physically assaulting him, you know, in doorways and such. It's all around. So it's posing problems for a couple of reasons. One, because the crew itself can't quite get it together, the local crew. Secondly, and more salaciously, apparently government offices or some kind of official offices in the country are asking for money. Like, not on the up and up either. They're asking for extra funds and they're saying, you can't release this footage, you can't make money off of it unless you grease our palms. And the production company with TLC is like, what the hell? Like, what are we supposed to do? We have to release this footage. All of the couples are filmed similar, you know, similar times, not completely in sync, but they need to release the entire show as a package. Everyone else's footage is done and packaged. Nicole and Azin's should be done and should be underway, but there is basically, I guess, I'm going to say it. I don't know, man. Come after me. Come after me, powers that be. But there's kind of an extortion situation going on. (laughs) It's just 90 Day Fiance. Oh, my God. The drama, even when we're not seeing it on our TV screens, is just always so high, isn't it? It's just unbelievable to me. So my friend, this producer, was telling me she was hearing all this from her producer friend. And he was saying, he was basically like, yeah, like these people are in hell. It's a mess. They don't know what to do. You know, they're hoping to get it released very soon. But the premiere date keeps having to be pushed because Morocco is just being like a huge bitch. My apologies to anyone from Morocco. I actually had a very good friend from Morocco in college. So no shade to the whole country. But plenty of shade to whoever in Morocco is doing this to my show. Come on. I'm about to go over there and just like bust some heads, but I'd probably be locked up abroad. So yeah, that's the scoop on what is likely going on. Like I said, it's a friend of a friend and we know how the game of telephone works, but (laughs) it really does make sense to me. Because I was anticipating 90 Day Fiance premiering basically right around the same time as Real Housewives of New York. You know, I was like, okay, Sunday nights are going to be great again. Make Sunday nights great again. But no, we're going to have to wait. There is some extra tea going on with little May. Sweet little May. 
Nicole's daughter, who is glued to an iPad 99% of the time when she's not being, you know, force-fed fries at two in the morning because she's hungry for lunch. I am not going to go into details about what's happening with that on the regular podcast, but if you sign up for Patreon this week, I will be spilling what I've heard about her and specifically humanitarian issues going on, again, allegedly, with this little girl, both at home and abroad. What I'm not sure of, and I can say this openly on the podcast, I'm not sure if she's actually there. I thought she was there. I thought it was confirmed. I thought everyone was basically saying Nicole went to Morocco. She took me with her. The grandparents are upset. Those were basically the reports coming out in February, I think, kind of late February, right after Valentine's Day. But now there are other stories coming forth. Production has been pretty tight-lipped about what exactly is going on. And good for them because we do like, you know, most of it to be a surprise. But when it comes to this little girl, oh God, you guys, much like all of you, she is the one I am worried about. I don't give a fuck what happens to Nicole or Azin at this point. I mean, they can just ruin their lives. He can scam her. She can scam him. Whatever they're doing, do it. But there is a little precious soul involved, and it makes me absolutely sick to think that she could be in harm's way. Anyway, if you want more scoop on that, sign up for Patreon, patreon.com, Pink Shade with Aaron Martin, and I will give you the scoop. I'm just not comfortable kind of repeating what I heard on here because it's definitely incriminating. Um... But we are going to move on. 90 Day Fiance, you are the gift that keeps on giving. I say it all the time, but we don't deserve you. Let's talk Housewives. Real Housewives of Atlanta reunion part two was this week. We saw Eva come in. She continues to be completely boring. She is like an extra on the cast. Even almost giving birth on stage didn't render her interesting. The Nini versus Kim fight is what everyone was tuning in for. And of course, Bravo made us wait until the last nine minutes for that shit. I am already anticipating being riveted by the beginning of next week's reunion because just seeing the previews of Nini say, where's your scooter to Kim about her, about her supposed health crises I don't know, man. I if for all for all that she is, Nini is still up there in my favorite housewives just for the shit she says. I am all about Kim never coming back to the Housewives franchise. She has said as much. She is all over the place right now defending herself, shading everyone. So is Nini. You know, they're they're kind of cut from the same cloth, but I just can't with Kim. I mean, she wants to be on this cast, but she doesn't want to do anything with them. She wants to say a bunch of shit, and then she wants to act stupid when people call her out for it. Like, what? I didn't I didn't mean that. I didn't say anything. Uh, you know, she just is so vapid, and she's not quick enough. You know, she could be really funny if she wanted to be, but she's not quick enough because she's half in, half out, just like Nini has been certain seasons and it never works for a housewife when they do that. So I hope to not see her back anymore. Real Housewives of Potomac. Can we talk about this for a moment? This is actually more interesting to me right now than Real Housewives of Atlanta. 
Have you guys been watching Potomac? I recapped Potomac the first season it was on, and I actually interviewed Ashley from the series, and she is a little spitfire. She's really fun to talk to, and she's pretty open and honest about her life, about coming from nothing and struggling with her mom, who is a single mom, and you know, meeting Michael. It's her husband, Michael. I feel like everyone's husband's name is Michael. Not Michael Campanella, but Michael. It's either Michael or Joe, right? So she, you know, she, I like her. I like her presence. I like her even when she's being a little nasty shit stirrer, which she is because she's just kind of, you know, she has some good energy and she is not at least the downer that some of these women are like Sharice with the extra R's and the extra S's who I'm so glad is off the show because she was just so bizarre and fake and like really depressing to me. She did make an appearance, so she made a cameo this week at Monique's uh, birthday party for her gigantic underdrawers husband. Let's talk about Karen Huger for a moment, though. I am of two minds when it comes to the Grand Dame of Potomac, which is, you know, Potomac is possibly the lowest rated series in the whole franchise. But Karen, <laughs> she fancies herself the queen of the rubble heap. She is basically the new Teresa G this season. She is, you know, the only difference between her and Teresa is that she's sporting a camo jumpsuit instead of a leopard one. Her husband is being indicted, right? Even though she doesn't admit it on tax fraud and tax evasion. She actually held a really sad little press conference for all of her friends to not talk about her issues and to serve peanuts while they stared at her and she batted her eyelashes. She brought along some weird assistant who she called a friend. I don't think this is Blue Eyes, who she was being accused of having an affair with last year. I think that was maybe her limo driver, but this guy is so random. And even the women are like, who the hell is this college intern? Like, are you the janky Sonia Morgan? And why is he pouring our water, taking notes, and giving us the side eye? So crazy. Did you guys catch the moment? It was like a split second moment, but the heroes out there on social media caught a screenshot of it and were spreading it around. Where Karen got in the limo, it was before Giselle came over and tried to continue the argument with her. And Karen had her leg up, her crazy camo jumpsuit leg on top of this dude's lap. What was that? What was that? That is so bizarre to me that she is all of a sudden close with this guy who, again, looks like maybe a, a, a older version of a college intern. He is completely mute. I think he said like maybe one or two words the entire two episodes he was in. She is so fucking shady. I kind of love her shadiness though, because you have to have some shady housewives and she does fill that role. She has been lying ever since she got on the show. She has been playing, you know, the role of being this elite of Potomac. She's not, she doesn't even live in Potomac. None of these women do except for Monique, I think, right? This cast above all casts is so funny to me because 90 percent of them are just pretending to be something they're not. Now we know many housewives have done this in the past, 
But when you look at the different casts, there are definitely different levels of this, right? You know, Beverly Hills, they have the money. They can back up their claims. New York, they're all business women for the most part, except for Sonia. But even she's, you know, she's kind of out there with what she's got, even though she's completely delusional about some of the businesses, <clears throat> Nigerian football team, she claims to run. But this Potomac cast is like a bunch of randoms they gathered up at a mall casting call and created storylines for. It's just too bizarre. Monique, the newcomer last year, is pretty much the only one with legitimate money because she is married to an athlete. Kind of reminds me of Atlanta in a way. You know, will this last? Won't it? Could she be the next Sheree? Who knows? They're having issues with his mom calling her a heifer, which um, is not necessarily good news for anyone as a daughter-in-law. Her husband isn't even talking to his mom anymore, so that's their storyline. Robin and Juan continue to be just completely bizarre. I love Robin, actually, but I don't think she's a great fit for a Housewives cast member. I like that she is really honest about her financial struggles. I don't know that she's completely honest about what's going on with her and Juan. I feel like their divorce is more about financial issues than it ever was about anything else. And I do feel like they love one another, even though last year he was caught on camera saying all of that shady shit behind her back. Do you guys remember that when he was in the closet and he was saying like, the only reason I'm here is because of the kids. And he was just spilling his guts to that producer and they caught it all. You know, if Robin stays with him after that and after all the cheating he's done in the past, then there's something else going on. You know, they're, they're, they're like a team in business or something. So they move to a slightly better decorated townhouse like I said, Monique throws this big party for her giant husband, and Robin takes issue with some meme. She says Monique's camp put out there. Monique says, I don't have anyone running social media for me, but you know, Robin kind of has the 411 on a lot of the dirt sometimes, so I do believe that Monique probably does have family members or <laughs> some random hanger-on who is creating stuff for her, but who gets... I mean, come on, you can't be on one of these damn shows and get upset about a meme, Robin. Like, let's let's talk about more serious issues. Ashley and her octogenarian husband are still pretending like they're making it work. We are finding out that there is a more real issue going on with them than what met the eye last year. It's not just about the restaurant. It's really about her mom living off of them and living off of her husband, you know, for living off of Ashley's husband for, it sounds like a few years and her mom being shacked up with some ne'er-do-well guy. Now, some of us can definitely relate to that shit. I won't get into details, but I feel for Ashley. That is a tough spot to be in when you are trying to be the caretaker of an irresponsible parent and your spouse has to, oh, for good or for bad, take that on with you because that's what you bring to the table and it's not your fault. Now, whether they need to continue enabling her mom, though, is the real question. And I thought Monique had a really good conversation with her about that. Giselle is just as shady as ever. She has moved on from Herman to Sherman her new boyfriend, who she claims to be in love with, 
She is creating these like $2 Hanes t-shirt hashtag statement shirts to shade Karen at the press conference, hashtag tax reform, hashtag free Uncle Ben. I thought it was pretty funny, if not a little cheesy, but that's just who she is. Of course, I think she's going to be fine with Karen because she and Karen are kind of the heavy hitters of the show, so they're going to have to make nice in the end. Maybe they'll have a whole season-long feud, though. Candice, Candace, who has an I in there for an inexplicable reason, and whose spell check changes to Candida or to Candidate in all of my notes. Candace is the new youngin. She is a pageant girl like Ashley, and she is really hitting it off with Monique, which means flash to, mm, I don't know, a week from now, a month from now, she and Monique will probably be bitter enemies because this is what always happens. All right, so that's Potomac. I think it's pretty good this season, actually. I'm into it. I think Housewives can get a little stale, and I am into the newer cast. I really enjoyed Dallas this past year. Did you guys like Dallas? I thought it just hit all the right notes, and I was in. You know, I thought that was running while Real Housewives of Orange County was running, and what a difference. You know, what a difference a new, fresh cast can make as opposed to the old feuds, the season after season, same fights. And Atlanta was giving us some of that too. And I don't know, man, they just need to do a revamp. Atlanta needs a revamp. Beverly Hills needs a revamp as well. So let's talk Beverly Hills. Here is my bottom line on Beverly Hills. I can't believe I'm going to say some of these things. So (laughs) here I go. I think hands down, Beverly Hills has one compelling storyline that will always be the most interesting storyline on the show. And it is Kyle Richards' relationship with her sisters and her dysfunctional family dynamic. And as much as it pains me to say it, and oh my God, does it ever, Kim Richards is kind of needed back in the mix. I cannot believe I just said that because every time Kim is on for a season, She kind of hijacks the storylines, and I spend all of my time saying, oh my God, Kim needs to be off this show. But it's kind of like the Cinderella rock anthem from 1991, or whenever that was. You don't know what you got until it's gone. I just think Kyle, without Kim as her character foil, is left adrift. And she recreated, basically, the Richard sisters' dysfunctional dynamic between Lisa Vanderpump, Dorit, and herself. Now, she didn't do that alone. Those women obviously were recreating it along with her. But that is just Kyle's wheelhouse. I mean, she is just always in a triumvirate of drama. She needs three people to be in it. And it's always been Kyle, Kathy, and Kim. And this season without Kim, it was just, uh, it, it was just lack, something was lacking there. The last episode, the finale, which we saw this week. Okay, fine. There was a little drama at Dorit's runway show, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I can't even be bothered to go deep with Dorit at this point. Dorit got over it pretty quickly, even though she said, Kyle ruined my show. She didn't. It was fine. But the real moment for me was when Kyle showed American Woman preview at the end to the girls. And, you know, 
it was a moment where you could see that that is the deeper storyline. That is what's really going on in her life, her making the show, her sisters being totally pissed about it, especially Kathy. This is why if we go back to, oh my God, it wasn't even last season, the season before, whatever American woman started as a concept, and I feel like that was a year and a half to two years ago. Am I getting that right? Somebody tell me if I'm getting that right. Kathy actually had Kyle and her family uninvited from the wedding. Do you remember that? From Nikki Hilton's wedding? And then only half of them got reinvited. It was all because of this show. So this show runs deep. Now here's my take on it. I think American Woman will actually be a hit. I'm going to watch it. I hope you guys watch it too. Just check out the first episode with me. Let's all make a pact to at least give it a week or two. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. I saw a long trailer of it and it looks very campy and very like classic soap opera drama. And it's also based on the the Richard sisters lives and big Kathy. So, oh my God, it has everything I want. I think the fact that it is probably going to be a hit and it's being helped by the PR that Housewives gives it is scaring Kathy and Kim to death because Kyle keeps saying it's loosely based on our lives. It's loosely based, but they hold their mother in such esteem and they revere her and have been taught to keep secrets. Kyle is like breaking through all of that silence, even if it's only loosely based. So anyway, that for me is the most compelling story, and I wish we would have seen more of it this season. Instead, we got fighting over stemware and, you know, the season finale at a runway show where 100% of the swimwear was riding up the asses of the models. Do you guys, am I the only one whose ass doesn't want to eat my bathing suit and back? Like, I'm not about that. I also don't have the butt for it. Those bathing suits were just, they were, they were pretty cool, some of them, but I was like, who is going to wear these in real life? You know, so maybe I guess there are some 17-year-olds out there who want to emulate housewives, although I can tell you from having taught 17-year-olds for a very long time, they are not interested in housewives whatsoever. Here's the deal, though. I think Dorit naming the bathing suits after the housewives is actually genius. And I bet PK was behind that. And okay, here's another thing. It pains me to say, maybe PK is smarter than I thought when it comes to business marketing. Oh, I think that pained me even more than the Kim Richards comment. You guys, I don't even know what's happening to me right now. It's like invasion of the body snatchers. But maybe he is, maybe he is some kind of idiot savant. He's still a sweaty potato. He still grosses me out, but maybe I'm going to give him a little bit of credit. He did help Dorit out because her original name and her original ideas were probably just as shallow and boring as she is. So Erica, Erica's season was all about being Erica Jane. It was all about promoting her book, which I read and I am going to review in much more detail on a podcast later. I'm going to see if somebody wants to talk to me about the book, actually, because it's more fun to have a conversation and have multiple perspectives than just my own. I'll give you the short 
a short recap of Erica's book, though. I tweeted this to, or I, I texted this to Kate Casey, and she said that should be your Amazon review of Erica's book. After reading it, I was in Costa Rica, and I was like, oh my God, I have to talk to someone about my thoughts. And so I texted Kate, and I said, all right, Erica's book is not a tell-all. It doesn't tell us much at all that we couldn't find out from a Wikipedia page. I mean, she goes over every single play she's ever done in high school. I'm talking every single one, you guys. She goes into detail about every single goddamn play for much longer than is needed. But overall, the theme, the takeaway was this for me. Her girl power shtick has worn thin, and it's also hilariously misguided. She openly says she doesn't like being friends with women. She claims to love serving her husband, like the cocktail waitress she once was, and the one that he happily married. She cheers the fact that she lays out his suits and his ties for him at night, and that gives her fulfillment. And she is a grown woman who plays dress up for fun. So if she's trying to be the most unrelatable woman in America, it's working. But here is the other side of it. I do like Erica for breaking the mold for women in their 40s, starting something new. I can relate to that, you know, because it's the age I'm at and I'm certainly not going on any stage gyrating, but I like the idea as as crazy as her ass is with all of this stuff, that she says, you know what, it's my life isn't over. I can do something different. Now, moving back to the whole, it's expensive to be me, and it costs me $40,000 a month just to maintain all of this. Totally unrelatable. But the one nugget I can relate to her on is her not letting age define her. So I do like that. That's that's what I'll give her credit for. And also, hey, shout out to Emily Horlocker. Girl, you are the best. She went to Erica Jane's book signing and actually got a copy signed for me. So as much as I'm throwing shade at this book, I do want to talk about it. Maybe Emily, hey, you want to talk about it? Hit me up. All right. Well, the finale, where, where, it ended. We'll go to the reunion, which I predict isn't going to be much more exciting than the whole season. It was kind of a snore. I like seeing Camille get engaged. I wish her happiness. I want to see more of the Richard sisters next season. I'm sorry. I'm old school like that. And I'm also going to be <laughs> revisiting a very old school moment on the Patreon soon where I recap an old episode, a classic episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I'm going to decide which one very soon. But I am just yearning for the good old days. So we're going to go back in time over there. Dorit is out there, you guys, if you heard this, hinting that she won't be back next season. She says, oh, it's up to PK and we're going to decide together. And I'm so relieved that this season is over. Well, I'm sure she is. But yeah, right. She's not going to be back. And yeah, right. Like PK wouldn't want her back. He has been like wishing he had a vagina so he could be a housewife the entire time he's appeared on this franchise. So whatever, Dorit, I don't believe it. Now, when it comes to Real Housewives of New York, I am loving the start of this season. I am loving that Dorinda is going to give it to Sonia this week, although it looks a little bit scary. I'm always down for a good Dorinda beatdown clip. 
However, I'm not going to be able to cover exactly what happens on this podcast because I'm going to be releasing this, recording it at least, before the episode airs. You can find my detailed recap of Real Housewives of New York in a couple of places, though. One, I'm going to be talking about it with Jenny McCarthy on Thursday of this week, 10.20 a.m., and you can listen to it on demand if you don't catch it live. We're going to go down all the housewives. I'm also going to be talking to Troy Turner on the Taste of Reality podcast. So go to Taste of Reality on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast and subscribe. He has a he started a really good podcast. He came on mine a couple of weeks ago, and he is all about the housewives. So we're going to discuss everything, including New York. And number three, of course, you can read my detailed recap on Reality Tea that's published every Thursday morning after the Wednesday night New York episode airs. So go there for all of my thoughts on New York, any of those three venues. We are going to move straight on to Jersey Shore now. As I told you guys last week, Jersey Shore is one of my very first loves when it comes to reality TV, and I know that they are disgusting and a mess in many ways, but I just have a soft spot for this group. I like watching them, and I like watching this new version of them. It's so strange to me because I thought, oh, it'll just all be about nostalgia, but I like seeing what's going on with them today just as much as I did back in the day. It's very different, but there's enough that's the same that can give me that warm, special Ron Ron Juice feeling. So catching up on what's going on, Snooki loses her wedding ring slash her mind when she throws the Sammy doll in the pool and of course, because this group is so awesome, they all look for it until they find the ring in the grass. They give it back to her, and she stops saying over and over to her dad, Oh my God, Gianni's going to kill me. What is going on with Snooki being in mortal fear of her husband all of the time? Do you remember back when she first met him? She was just as scared of him back then, and nothing has changed. In fact, she's probably more scared of him now. This plays out as a theme throughout the entire episode. So it's losing her ring first. She's scared he's going to kill her. She doesn't even want to tell him. She's talking about leaving the house because she's so upset. You know, what is she scared? He's on Ashley Madison again back home. Remember that scandal? Does Ashley Madison exist anymore? I don't think so. So he's probably on a news site cheating. But this plays out because there is a second theme that emerges or second storyline that emerges. Same theme where Snooki is all about pretending Vinny has cooties. I mean, she doesn't want to sit next to him. She is trying not to speak to him. She doesn't want to get near him because of their backstory where they hooked up when she was just getting with Gianni. Now, Vinny finally gets a few drinks in him and tries to confront her in a completely immature way, but he he tries to bring it up, like, what the hell's going on? Why are you treating me like I'm a leper? While he has a huge Italian flag spray painted on his chest, he's trying to have this argument also. And Snooki just loses her fucking mind. She even turns on Bestie. Wow, And Wow is having none of it. Just, just like always, she is probably the most level-headed person in the group. She's even more level-headed than Vinny because he was always more immature. And as messy as she can get, what she says is usually on point. And now that she has matured and she's pretty much stayed out of the, you know, 
major limelight for a lot of years. She's, she really is a mom who's working on businesses and, you know, taking care of her family. She's telling Snooki, like, calm down. It's not that deep. Why are you making such a huge drama about this Vinny thing? Just set your boundaries and be done with it. And Snooki is like, you're a bad friend. You're an idiot. Why aren't you supporting me? I mean, so Jaywell also, reason I love her, she snaps. She has enough. And she goes back downstairs and tells everyone, like, Snooki's insane. And I'm done defending her. So I'm sure this is not going to cause a rift in their relationship long term. Here's another moment that I loved, though. So getting away from the drama of this. And I, yeah, I will be talking about Ron's shits very soon. But tender moment. This is why Jersey Shore has a special place in my heart. A tender moment between Jenny Farley and Mike Sorrentino. Yes, the situation almost brought me to tears, you guys. Again, oh God, roll your eyes all you want to, but I'm going to get a little bit of cheese out right here. I was really moved when Jenny was talking about how before their Italy season, you know, her grandmother passed away and she had a miscarriage. She lost a baby with Roger and she didn't tell anyone this. And she still went and filmed the season in Italy, but they put her on basically a ton of Xanax. And then she started taking uppers because she was so lethargic and she was just super fucked up that whole season and not really present. Now she says this not to just tear at our heartstrings or to give us, you know, make us all feel bad for her like some housewives do. I really think she's saying this in the moment to relate to Mike because he is on this journey of sobriety right now and he's talking to her about how fucked up he was in Italy and how, you remember him smashing his head against that cement wall? They replay it about a thousand times this season, so if you don't remember, you will see footage. And him just going off on anyone, him accusing Snooki of giving him a blowjob and trying to ruin her relationship with Gianni. I mean, he was a hot mess and he fully admits it and he wants to be a better person. So good for him. I, I'm wishing him well on his journey, but I loved how Jenny didn't go back in time like Ron did last week and say, yeah, you were a shitty person back then. And yeah, you were like, you know, I hated you. She said, yeah, you know, I hear you. And here's a piece of myself I'm going to offer to you and how I struggled. And I'm going to relate to you rather than judge you. I like that about this chick. I don't care what anyone says about her. I like that quality about Jay Wow. And I admire her. And I think she and Mike have always had a special bond. You know what I read in an article, super interesting, that producers originally thought Jenny and Mike would be the ones to hook up in the house. Now, they never even came close to that. But isn't it interesting that they saw something in them? Because they are pretty much the closest when it comes to real conversations. You know, then there's Dina talking to the boys about who's going to bust a nut and, you know, hilarious and equally compelling conversation in other ways. But I don't know. I like these moments. Polly goes rock climbing with a gold chain around his neck classic, legendary. There's a spider in the house that they name Black Guido because they don't know words. Snooki's upper lip is mesmerizing to me in such a way that I can't stop staring at it. it her veneers have and her lip injections have created 
a situation, for lack of a better word, on her upper lip in particular that is causing me to actually press pause on my remote and stare. I love Snooky, but dude, we, we have to turn back time on that lip. Something bad has happened. Okay, so Snooky loses the rock climbing challenge when they're all out, and she has to clean Ron's toilet bowl. He has clogged up two toilet bowls in the house because I don't know if it's steroids. I don't know if he is mainlining Taco Bell. What the fuck is going on in his gastrointestinal system? As Polly and Dina say, Ron's a disgust. He is absolutely gross, and Snooky has to go in there with her wine glass, which she drinks with her rubber gloves after she basically touches Ron's diarrhea. I can't even really go there in my mind, but you guys, if you saw it, were you dry heaving along with me? Anyway, she has to clean his toilet. She doesn't really get it done. They have to call a plumber. Ron is a disgust. Ron's also 1.5 seconds away from cheating on Sammy 2.0 back home, who's pregnant with his child. I loved, in particular, how they cut to Polly's face when he was listening to Ron's conversation with his baby mama on the duck phone. Again, nostalgia. Ron basically... It was like having a conversation with a stranger he had met for the first time. Like, hey, how are you? Oh, good. I'm well, too. Thanks for asking. It was so stilted and awkward and weird. I mean, these two just got accidentally pregnant. It's obvious. They don't have a relationship. And I am fully anticipating their imminent breakup probably on the show. And I think Polly is right when he says Ron cannot stop talking about Sammy because he's still in love with her. I said it last week. I'm going to say it until the end, until I see differently. Ron and Sammy, hashtag forever. For good or for bad. Mostly for bad. I want to see Sammy come back. I wish she would crash this scene. I really do want to see it. I know people are glad she's not there because they're sick of the Ron-Sammy thing. I will never get sick of it. I'm here to say I will never get sick of it. So Jersey Shore continues for me to be amazing, and I love JWoww. The end. Married at first sight. Can we talk about Molly? It has been a couple of weeks, more than a couple of weeks, since I have really talked about this show on the podcast. I'm going to tell you right now that my feelings have not changed. I think Molly has been a fraudulent contestant, let's call her a contestant on this show because she really is trying to win some kind of game. I think she has been a low-key liar and I think she has been, yeah, all of these things, a phony from the very beginning. I'm just saying synonyms for the same thing. She's a fake. John, as doltish as he can be, And he is immature. He is maybe, I don't know, he wouldn't be a great match for a lot of people. He's kind of, you know, tough to take. He doesn't seem like a bad guy. And I felt really awkward at first when I was telling you guys, man, I feel for John. Like I have a soft spot in my heart for John. But now I don't feel bad for saying that anymore because we have seen, we have seen the truth and it has set us free. Molly is is a jackass. 
And we don't know the whole story of their fight when she was calling him disgusting and he recorded her. We don't know what the whole situation was, but she is a nasty piece of work. And I can picture her being super nasty to him off screen and then smiling for the cameras and trying to play nicey nice while she's on camera, which is basically what we found out she's been doing the entire time. I knew that she was not attracted to John from the get-go. She knew that too, but she kept talking about how the physical would follow or she was going to hang in there. No, I think she was just trying to do something for the purposes of the show. You know, she didn't want to end it right away and have no show, not be on the TV. So for me, she was just like, yeah, a contestant in a game and the game didn't work. And as shady as it was for John to film her and show it to the therapist, what other option did he have? I mean, he is like, you know, the lower skilled player here. He's like, well, hopefully, you know, she'll develop attraction for me. And of course, she's not going to John. She like doesn't want you. But he was sort of hanging in there. And I don't know, it just made me feel, oh, it made me feel sympathy for him at the very least. And Yes, he does need to seek medical attention for his super sweaty pit problem, but he seems like he gave it the old college try when it came to this married at first sight experiment. Molly was never honest. She rubs me the wrong way. She has since the beginning, and it's not about sex. It's about telling the truth, and she never did that, so fuck her. John's mom is super sweet. Did you guys love her? I love, I don't know. She seemed like John. I mean, obviously he came from that family, but she was like, oh, let's just put on a happy face. And (laughs) she was like, let's look on the bright side of you having no job and no house. Oh my God. John, maybe you can go on another reality TV show or maybe not, but I do hope you get a job. I hope you get an apartment and I hope you never see Molly again because she sucks, dude. Let's talk about who else sucks. Ryan, who needs to be beaten with a blunt object. Not really, but I would like to yell at him in person. He, I tweeted it last night, is going to die alone, clutching his paintball gun in his threadbare American flag under drawers, which obviously, as we all know, for sure have skid marks all up and down the back. He is going to be the old single guy at the bar for life who's going out with his boys. He says, I have a vision for marriage of being happy coming home. Uh, Coming home when, John, or John, sorry. Coming home when, Ryan? Like at two in the morning? What, What wife are you coming home to that's happy when you come home at two in the morning every single night? Or when you are more concerned with um, tending to your paintball field that you co-own with someone, I still can't get over that shit. (laughs) I mean, he had me at I co-own a paintball field. That would have been the only red flag I needed to be like, and the experiment is now concluded. But Jacqueline, she keeps hanging in there. I mean, she has this good attitude. Maybe she and John could get together, although... I don't know that they'd be a good match either. They seem to both have this like stick with it attitude despite their nasty ass partners. Anyway, I do not think they are long for this world. I thought at first Ryan would just cling to Jacqueline like he would force them to stay together because he was so in it to win it. But he is he's like Molly. He's just like trying to win something. 
And it's so gross. Ryan is so nasty. His his dead eyes when he talks to Jacqueline and he's like, yeah, well, you and I will always have a bond. Well, first he said, we'll always have a bond. And she's like, what, with your boys? And he's like, uh, uh, no, with you. It, I think he was that was actually a Freudian slip because he does have more of a bond with guys than with his wife. Who knows where I'm going with that? Not really anywhere. I think he actually has more of a bond with alcohol than anything else. I'll put that out there. He's nasty. He's kind of a sociopath light, and Jacqueline needs to leave him. The only couple I see having a shred of hope are Shawnee's and Jeffy. They have the best chance, even though they are dysfunctional. I mean, they've only been together for seven winks. Seven winks. Like Tinkerbell, seven weeks. So I think they have a chance with therapy. Like Jeff D needs communication skills. Shawnee needs to build trust, knowing that every single argument they have doesn't mean it's the end or that divorce is imminent. Jeff D needs to work on using his words because he is not very good at that. But he seems to have a deeper trust that the relationship, you know, is a long game, is a marathon. So it's like they both, they both can help each other, but I think they definitely need like a full-time, almost on-site therapist to help them work through maybe even the first year or so of marriage. I hope they try to stick it out though, because those crazy kids, I think love is on the way for them. And can I reference even one more 80s song in today's podcast? I'm sort of, it's just all the nostalgia. I don't know what's happening to me. So I am going to talk about Southern Charm in detail over on the Patreon episode this week. So again, if, you, if you're signed up over there, you're going to hear Shira Weiss and I go into detail about the Thomas allegations and some dirt she has on the Southern Charm producers behind the scenes that she got from cast members, not only from the Southern Charm original gang, but from Southern Charm Savannah. And then it's the same producers who are doing New Orleans coming up. So there is some, basically some deep misogyny going on there. And I I will say for here, quick recap In my heart, I am like super hopeful this season. I love that the women are flipping the script on these good old good old boys. I love that the women are like like flocking around Catherine. She's getting back up for the first time, pretty much ever, and that she is working on herself and being healthy. I want her, you know, mother to mother, to have a healthy relationship with the crazy ass sociopath father of her children, but really more with her children. And I want her to have good girlfriends in her life because doesn't that make all the difference? I mean, that really is what gives us our strength, I think. So Catherine, oh, I'm so happy for you, girl. I hope that you get all the support you need. And I hope that she also stays clean and sober. And I hope that they just rip new assholes up and down that coast and turn all of those good old boys into what they are, the leches that we knew they were from the very beginning. Maybe those good old boys will become new versions of themselves and be better off for it. That That is the ultimate goal here, right? Not to rip men apart, but to kind of like show them there is a different way. We are equals and you will treat us as such. And oh my God, wouldn't that be amazing to see social change happen through reality TV? (laughs) 
I'm like dreaming big dreams here, but Southern Charm could be the catalyst. They could make it happen. Because we know for sure that Vanderpump Rules is not going to be the catalyst for change. I know I didn't really touch on a whole lot or anything from Vanderpump Rules, let's be honest here, this week, but I will just leave with these parting words. Jax and Brittany are never breaking up. And kids, don't do drugs. You will look like Jax. In fact, you know what? Don't do steroids because I think that might be more of what is going on with his bloated face and his psychotic look in his eyes all of the time. Yeah, he dumped Brittany this episode, but we know that in real time, they have been out there on social media talking about how they're still together. She is still in love with her man. He is her best friend. Oh my God. She is going to be apologizing for her man and smelling and witnessing his open door dumps for life. So Brittany, congratulations. You've won the prize and his name used to be Jason. Reiki lady, good job escaping to Africa so you don't have to deal with his dumbass for a little while. And Jax, good luck with that non-existent job that you are hoping to get. These people are too much. I am so into Vanderpump Rules this season because they are such a mess, though. I will fully admit I love watching the train wreck. I'm here for all of it. And I will be actually talking to Grant from Grant's Rants on an upcoming episode about Vanderpump Rules because this is his first season where he's really gotten into it. And we really have a lot to say about this series as a whole and this season in particular. All right, so I will leave you guys for now with all of that tea. Thank you for listening. I'm going to, like I said, be on Jenny McCarthy this week. Tune into Taste of Reality when you get a chance to listen to my deeper thoughts on New York and other housewives and check out my recap on Reality Tea. I'm going to be coming at you very soon with a wild, wild country discussion with Michelle, one of the producers from Jenny McCarthy's show, who I have become such good friends with. She is so sweet. If you listen to Jenny, you probably love Michelle and her angelic voice just as much as I do. She is so obsessed with Wild Wild Country, which is the cult documentary on Netflix. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do. We are going to record our thoughts, and I will be releasing that sometime in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I'm just so excited to finally talk more about that. Head over to the Facebook group to talk to all of us. If you haven't joined yet, go to Pink Shade with Erin Martin on Facebook. Follow me at Erin Leah Martin on Twitter and Instagram. Go to Patreon if you want more bonus content, patreon.com, Pink Shade. And hey, have a good week until I talk to you next time. I am going to be gathering up even more intel for the next time we meet. And until then, I will see you in reality. 